if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Mike is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thanks for being with us as we get started at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Monday, the 21st morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord 2020. Wow, uh, that was a game changer, wasn't it? When we found out on Friday night that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed, the game changed. It was already an extraordinarily dangerous game, and now it just got more dangerous. Uh, Her body wasn't even, you know, probably officially pronounced dead before the arguments began over whether or not she would be replaced before the election. I mean, literally, she didn't even have time. Look, I was no fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's politics. I was no fan of her decision-making on the Supreme Court. But the woman was a Supreme Court justice, and they didn't even give her an opportunity to be mourned, didn't give her an opportunity to be memorialized, didn't give her an opportunity to look back at her career, to be sad, to be, to be devastated. Before the fight began, on every side, but primarily from the liberal side, who started screaming, oh no, I read tweets, even though I'm not on Twitter anymore, I do read news stories in which Twitter, uh, you know, tweets are posted, and I read several tweets from liberals screaming, blank you, RBG, blank you, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Blank you for not resigning when you could have during the Obama administration and then letting him replace you with another person like you. Blank you for dying during the Trump administration and putting us in this position. I mean, she wasn't even cold yet. And I don't mean to be cold when I say things like this. I mean, literally, the woman died Friday night. Or at least the announcement was made Friday night. Uh, I actually saw it come across my screen right before kickoff of the high school football game I was at. So it was a little bit before 7 o'clock. So she died Friday afternoon. And, I mean, by 8 o'clock, the fight was on about replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And the threats have been coming in ever since. Not threats from the right. Threats from the always dangerous American left. Threats to pack the court if Trump tries to ramrod uh, a nomination through and McConnell tries to ramrod a vote through 
before the election. Threats to pack the court. Threats to um, riot, quite frankly. They, there were calls from liberals, including liberal members of the media at CNN and elsewhere, threats calling for rioting in the streets. If President Trump does his constitutional job, his fulfills his con- constitutional obligation to name an, uh, a successor to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And yes, it is his obligation, just as it was Barack Obama's obligation to name a successor for Antonin Scalia just a few short months before the 2016 election. It was his obligation to do so. It's Trump's obligation to do so. The difference is, of course, the Republican-controlled Senate has a choice to make as to whether they'll take this up before the election or not, just like back then. They made up their mind, Mitch McConnell made up their mind, and Mitch McConnell's making up his mind on this one. As the ruling party can do. The party and the majority of the United States Senate gets to make that call. The Senate majority leader gets to make that call. This is exactly what Barack Obama meant when he said elections have consequences. The Republicans held the majority in the, of the Senate in 2016 when Barack Obama named Merrick Garland to be the replacement for Antonin Scalia. But the Republicans had the Senate and said, nope, we're going to wait and see what happens. You're a lame duck president. You cannot be president again. There are two other individuals who are vying for this. We're going to let them, whoever it is, make this decision. And then in 2018... That Republican majority expanded. It grew by a couple of seats. So now the Republican majority still holds sway. And yes, the Republican majority leader can make this call. And in this case, it is a little bit different because President Trump is not a lame duck. The president is an incumbent first-term president who can win another term and is absolutely right to continue presiding. In this period, that's what a president does. And his constitutional obligation right now is to name a successor. What Mitch McConnell and the Senate Judiciary Committee do with it is up to them. Why? Ask Barack Obama. Because elections have consequences. So this is exactly the game right now. And this was a game changer with Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing. Like I said a moment ago, liberals are furious with her because she was in ill health four years ago when Barack Obama was still president. Many encouraged her to step down, but a lot of her supporters said, why? No big deal. Hillary Clinton is a lock to win the next president, uh, the, the uh, uh, next election, and she'll be president for four or eight years, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg can retire during that period of time. Nobody thought that Donald Trump was win and would win, and here we are. That election, along with the elections in 2016 and 2018, that gave the Republicans a stronger hold on the majority in the United States Senate, those elections all had consequences, too. Now, and by the way, let me give you a little rundown. Coming up in less than half an hour, we are going to talk with the son of the President of the United States. Eric Trump is going to be joining us to talk about the President's visit to Ohio today. He's coming to talk with manufacturers, going to talk about NAFTA, which Joe Biden supported, 
and why President Trump got rid of NAFTA and replaced it with the UM, uh, uh, USMCA. So that's going to be very important. But we, of course, are going to talk to Eric Trump about this situation, the game changer that is the new vacancy on the Supreme Court. That'll be coming up at 9.35. Then at 10.10, I hope you're here for hour number two, because we're going to revisit with new information something that we talked about on Friday's show during the 10 o'clock hour. Friday, we had two members of the Ohio State Board of Education, Lisa Woods and Sarah Fowler, talking about the extraordinary, um, quite frankly, the extraordinarily racist resolution number 20 that was passed by the school board this summer regarding curriculum and regarding uh, efforts to include something similar to the 1619 Project curriculum in the, uh, in the uh, public schools here in the state of Ohio. Racial politics at its worst being imposed upon our school children. So we talked uh, with them and with Peter Kersenow about that. Today, we're going to follow up on that, but with more information. The curriculum, as it turns out, is far, far worse than the 1619 Project. The curriculum being considered now by the State of Ohio Board of Education is called Black Lives Matter at School. It is far worse than just the 1619 Project. And um, Michael Goldstein, the Ohio Director of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, is going to be joining us at 1010, along with his assistant uh, at, uh, and lead researcher at Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, Kathy Johnson. The two of them are going to testify before the State Board of Education tomorrow about this. And they have a ton of important information to share, and they're going to have it at 1010 this morning. So we're going to spend a lot of time on the... Um, Ginsburg situation, but then we are also going to pivot because this is important. The next state board of education meeting is today, and then tomorrow they will hear testimony from people like uh, Mike Goldstein and Kathy Johnson. So, expert testimony is going to be offered, expert witness testimony is going to be offered, and we're going to get a first crack at it right here on AM 1420. The answer. We'll take a time out here, but I want to say this going into this break, and I want you to think about this charges of hypocrisy are being thrown at Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham for saying four years ago he would never support such a move to have a confirmation hearing in an election year, particularly this close to an election. He said that four years ago, and he said, you can hold me to it uh, if I change my mind. Well, he has changed his mind. So they are coming for Lindsey Graham. Mitch McConnell, of course, denied Merrick Garland a vote four years ago. And now he's going to give a vote to President Trump's nominee, so they're calling him a hypocrite. And I've got news for you. They're right. It is hypocritical. But what I want you to think about during this break is that hypocrisy is a two-way street. Both sides are being extraordinarily hypocritical in their response to this. There is one thing, one difference that makes this one just a little bit easier to swallow. And I'll explain that on the other side right here on AM 1420, The Answer. It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 922, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. We are talking about the... um, vacancy created by the untimely death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And of course, we join everyone who is close to her and everybody who just cares about people in sending condolences to the family and friends of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She certainly was um, 
an historical figure in uh, the history of the United States Supreme Court. Did not like her opinions, did not like what she stood for, did not like her rulings, did not like the fact that she was so pro-abortion. I feel like she took the lives or was responsible in some ways for the lives of millions of babies uh, uh, being lost. Um, but she was doing what she felt was right. She was appointed appropriately. She was uh, nominated and she was confirmed appropriately because of her uh, history, her experience, and her expertise on the law. And that's one thing you have to be able to say about her. Now, the difference between Ruth Bader Ginsburg being nominated and then confirmed and almost unanimously being confirmed, despite Republicans having serious misgivings 27 years ago about her uh, uh, ideology, if you will, and the fact that she was not going to be an originalist, she was going to be uh, doing what so many liberals do when they come to the high court, and even on lower courts, and that is twist and bend the Constitution to fit their own ideological beliefs, rather than being a strict originalist who that uh, apply the actual wording of the Constitution to the laws that are being proposed. So Republicans didn't like her politics, didn't like her ideology, but the rule was then, which it's supposed to still be now, if you are on the Judiciary Committee and then when the vote comes to the full Senate, if the person is qualified... You have to vote yes. That's it. If the person's judicial experience and judicial temperament and judicial qualifications meet the criteria, you have to vote for them. Your politics and their ideology don't get to stop that that from happening. And that's why Republicans all swallowed hard and said, Bill Clinton won the election. Elections have consequences. I didn't say this out loud because that was Obama coining that that term or that phrase. But the Republicans at the time said Bill Clinton is the majority, or excuse me, president rather. Democrats have the majority. We have to go. This person is qualified. Don't like her ideology. Don't like what she stands for. Don't like what it's going to do to the court. But she's qualified. So we have to vote yes. You know who else was qualified? Neil Gorsuch was qualified. You know who else qualified? Brett Kavanaugh was qualified, but the left completely twisted the way you're supposed to confirm a nominee, twisted and turned it upside down. They let their dislike of the ideology of those two conservatives, they let that rule their decisions as they voted against him, them despite their obvious qualifications. Which brings us now, current, back to the successor for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Should there be a nominee announced by the president before this upcoming presidential election? And should that nomination uh, be given a confirmation hearing and vote, and then hopefully a full Senate vote before November 3rd? Senator Tom Cotton says, um, of course. In 2018, we had a referendum on this question. Just a month before the 2018 midterms, we had the vote on Justice Kavanaugh. There could not have been a clearer mandate because the American people didn't just re-elect Republicans, they expanded our majority. They defeated four Democratic senators who voted against Justice Kavanaugh. They re-elected the one Democratic senator who did vote for Justice Kavanaugh. So we have a clear mandate to perform our constitutional duty. That's what the Senate majority will do now. That's what we did back in 2016 as well. That is their, their mandate. And the mandate of the president is to, without delay, name an appropriate nominee or identify, choose a nominee to replace a member of the court, especially in a time like this, when we are just, uh, what, 43 days away from the presidential election, one that is expected by both sides to be contested. 
because of the validity or lack thereof validity of mail-in voting. And if this comes down to a Supreme Court decision on how to handle this, it's going to be the same thing that happened in, in 2000 when the hanging chads and the entirety of uh, you know the Florida mess was put to bed by the Supreme Court. It can't be a 4-4 four to four vote. We have to be able to declare a president, a winner. And you can't send eight people to make that decision. There has to be a ninth. And that's why it's so important in the mind of Tom Cotton and many others to get this thing done before the election. But, of course, the libs like Amy Demo- uh, or uh, Amy Klobuchar, rather. I almost called her Amy Democrat. Might as well. It's synonymous. Amy Democrat Klobuchar said they're trying to steal the seat. Again, all rules will be looked at. Everything matters here. But, Dory, I cannot emphasize enough um, that there are 45 days before an election. And it remains what we said the morning yesterday when we had our first early voting in Minnesota, when we saw Joe Biden do a terrific job, by the way, in Duluth, is that what matters is everyone votes and that we, the public's pressure on Republicans is, to me, the most important thing right now. The Republicans who basically stole that seat the last time, and now they're trying to do it again. And the public must speak out. This love for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, in her own words, right, her fervent wish is that the next president pick. That was the last thing she said to the public. So because Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't want to be replaced now, she wanted to be replaced after the next president is done, we should just cast aside the small matter of the Constitution. After all, it's a dying woman's wish, so therefore, uh, we should just cast aside the Constitution and say, okay, the president doesn't get to name somebody because, well, some woman who is dying said she didn't want that to happen. No, it doesn't work that way. Nancy Pelosi, of course, could be can always be counted on to use hyperbole and uh, suggest that they'll do anything they have to to stop the president from naming this replacement, including... Some have mentioned the possibility, if they try to push through a nominee in a lame duck session, that, that you and this, the House could move to impeach President, president Trump or Attorney General Barr as a way of stalling and preventing the Senate from acting on this nomination. Well, we have our options. We have arrows in our quiver that I'm not about to discuss right now. So she would not put that option off the table. She would not take that option off the table. And by the way, is anybody going to point out the cultural appropriation and the offensive nature of her comments to Native Americans by talking about arrows and quivers? Or is it just going to be me? Look, bottom line here, and I said that tongue-in-cheek slightly, bottom line here, Four years ago, Democrats screamed that Mitch McConnell should take up Barack Obama's nominee, uh, Merrick Garland, because it was the right thing to do. Barack Obama was right to name this this replacement just months before an election, and that the uh, Republican uh, majority leader should under, should take that uh, uh, nominee up for consideration. Now, four years later, Democrats are screaming that Donald Trump should not name somebody. And that Mitch McConnell should not take up the uh, the nomination. So the Democrats are hypocrites. The Republicans, who would not give Merrick Garland a hearing, now say we will absolutely give a hearing to President Trump's uh, to Trump's nominee. They are also hypocrites. Both sides said the opposite thing four years ago than what they're saying today. So to me, what's the tiebreaker here? What is the deal breaker here? To me. 
It's what the Democrats did to Brett Kavanaugh just two short years ago. When the Democrats played or declared war by trying to destroy the career and the life of a good man named Brett Kavanaugh, who was obviously qualified for this seat, when they did that, the game changed. All bets are off now. They declared war over the confirmation process with what they did to Kavanaugh, so all hypocrisy from four years ago washes, and now it's time to start anew. And guess what? We have a Republican president and a Republican Senate. Elections have consequences. Eric Trump will join us next on AM 1420, The Answer. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Get on track, cause I can't have you ruin it. I say, hold on, but don't hold me back. Hold on, but don't hold me back. Hold on, but don't hold me back. Okay, 937, now the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer, we are waiting on the phone call from Eric Trump. He's going to be joining us to discuss the president's visit, visit to Ohio today, uh, talking about uh, manufacturing, talking about NAFTA and the uh, death of NAFTA, thanks to President Trump, over the objections of Joe Biden, who voted for and supported NAFTA. Uh, that's the reason he's in town. But obviously, the number one issue for, uh, for President Trump today uh, and for virtually everybody else in uh, the federal government right now is going to be uh, the replacement for uh, the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And uh, I'm told Eric Trump is on the line now, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. So let's say good morning to the son of the President of the United States and advisor, of course, to Trump Pence 2020. Eric Trump, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, hey. great to be back on, Bob. Good to have you, as always. Good to have uh, your father in town today, or not in town, but in our state today. And I'll talk about that with you in a moment. But obviously, uh, you know, I, I know, and you always know that there are going to be hard feelings between the two par- parties, the two sides over the, you know, a situation like this. You know, the Democrats are angry that Merrick Garland didn't get an up or down vote from uh, Mitch McConnell's Senate in 2016, and they're saying it's hypocritical to give the president's new nominee, whoever this may be, whomever this may be, an up or down vote now. I get it. They're angry. They think that's hypocritical. Republicans, of course, are saying this is an entirely, entirely different scenario because the two parties are the same in the presidency and in the, uh, and in the Senate. Uh, and this president is not a lame duck, as Barack Obama was, who was termed limited. So I, I get it. Both sides are angry. But Eric Trump, they're threatening violence in the streets over the president doing his constitutional duty. They're threatening literally to burn it all down. They are threatening literally to take it to the streets and riot even more than they already are over defunding cops. And Nancy Pelosi is threatening to to file a new impeachment case against the president just to, to or to, against Bill Barr just to stop this. Eric, they have gone off the rails. They are a very, very, there is a very dangerous movement in this country. It's the Democrat Party, and it is the American left. There's no question. I mean, they, they, they but I mean, you said it beautifully. I mean, let me give you a little analogy just for a second, Bob. You have 22,000 people um, from the you know, NRA, Second Amendment supporters, who marched on the Virginia State Capitol a couple months ago. And they were waving American flags, and they were literally saying the Pledge of Allegiance, singing the Star Spangled Gold Banner. And not a single punch was thrown, n- nothing, right? And you know, these are the people that the Democrats vilify every single day. I remember two weeks ago walking out of a beautiful convention. You know, after my father gave a speech, we all spoke at it. I think most of America watched it on TV. 
And literally, you had Antifa in the streets of Washington, D.C., and they tried to burn down the city. I mean, why is it that it only goes one way? Why is it that the hate only goes one way? I mean, there was no one outside the convention center in Wilmington, Delaware, um, protesting, lighting things on fire, you know, uh, creating anarchy. And do you know what the problem is? The Democrats don't even say anything about it. I mean, no. they say nothing about it. They don't condemn the, you know, the rioters in, in, in liberal Portland that are, you know, that are throwing bricks at law enforcement officers. I mean, in Seattle, you literally had people sharpening pieces of PVC and throwing them at cops. I mean, literally like spears to the air, throwing them at cops. And Biden won't even come out and say anything about it. In fact, the exact opposite. I mean, Kamala Harris called, you know, uh, law enforcement, KKK, compared law enforcement to the KKK and the Gestapo in a Senate hearing. She says that she wants to abolish all police. I mean, radical as hell. Biden came out and said, listen, I want to take all police funding and I want to reallocate it to social workers and other things. I mean, effectively defunding, you know, police. Mm-hmm. Um, and then any time, any time they lose an election, it's violence, it's, 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 it's rioting. I mean, you saw them burn up the most spectacular church in Washington, D.C. I mean, these people are insane and they don't say a single thing about it. And you better believe, and I, you know, I'm being long-winded because I'm passionate about this one, but you better believe when you look at these cities like New York, where they're literally taking school buses and dropping off pallets of bricks, you better believe that this is a well-coordinated, well-funded event. And um, and the good news is we've got a great attorney general, and he's looking into it, and I think he's following the money very, very closely, and he's going to get these people. But it's um, well, the tactics on the left are disgusting, Bob. They're absolutely disgusting. The only thing worse than everything that you just described is the fact that they not only refuse to condemn leftist violence, they try to say, and Joe Biden has said this on numerous occasions when he finally came out of the basement to condemn the violence in a general sense. He said he didn't say specifically Antifa or Black Lives Matter or Revcom or any of the other you know organizations that are doing this. He said, I condemn all violence, and I'm very concerned that President Trump won't condemn all of the right-wing violence that is going on out there. They're literally saying that there are Tea Party groups or right-wing organizations that are out there burning things, tearing down statues, setting fires, um, you know, looting businesses, and so on and so forth. It is just simply not true. This is not happening in red cities or in red states. It's happening in solely Democrat-run cities by Democrat-supporting uh, radical organizations and radical anarchists. That's right. And, 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 and I don't know why, uh, why, why no one ever talks about that. I mean, clearly you do. The media never talks about this. This is... These are far-left policies. I'll give you a great example. In New York City, right? I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to, uh, you know, to say I live there at this point. It's, you know, maybe i got to move to Ohio or Pennsylvania or somewhere else. But it's crazy. So, so Bill de Blasio, Comrade de Blasio, uh, our mayor, he, he, he defunds the NYPD by $1 billion. And by the way, make no mistake, right? They come out saying, we're not going to defund law enforcement. They're, they're defunding law enforcement every single day. In New York City, they just defunded them again by $1 billion. Then they went out and they cut all undercover law enforcement officers out of the NYPD, right? No more undercover law enforcement in the NYPD. And in 90 days, crime goes up by 300%. I mean, I have a one-year-old daughter who is substantially smarter than that. She would know that if you fund the NYPD by a billion dollars and get rid of all undercover cops, the, the people who are putting bad guys in jail every single day. And then, by the way, you do other things, Bob, like bail reform. And we had an NYPD officer right, get punched in the face the other day. This was one of the chiefs of police. They arrested the lady who punched him. In the, five minutes later, she's out because of the new bail reform laws. And she goes back on the street, and she's breaking windows, and, you know, she's, she's rioting again. Five minutes after punching the chief of police in, in the face. But in 90 days, crime in New York went up by 300% because of these insane liberal policies. And it's moving to some of the suburbs. 
and we have to stop it. I mean, why wouldn't we support the most incredible men and women in this country who wear the yeah. uniform, who do so much? I mean, who's going to pull over the drunk driver, um, you know, on in the two o'clock in the morning who's endangering the family because they're, uh, you know, they're driving wasted at, um, you know, ninety miles an hour down the road, swerving all over the place? Is that is that going to be a social worker? Is that is that who Joe Biden, Molly right. Harris, is going to send? Or are you just not going to? I mean, who's going to arrest the person who's selling drugs in the school? Is that a social worker? I mean. Give me a break. I mean, no. this is crazy stuff. Well, it, it, it really is. Yeah, Eric, it really is. We're talking to Eric Trump, the president's uh, son. Uh, and, and, and not to steer off of that too much, but again, my concern right now isn't the violence that's being committed in this country because of their anti-police you know, narratives. But now they're talking about more violence in more cities because the president may actually nominate somebody to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which, of course, is his constitutional duty, and it's also his constitutional right as the commander-in-chief. He is the commander-in-chief until, and the president of the United States until January 19th of 2021. It is absolutely his in, within his purview to do this, and they are literally threatening to cause and uh, create more violence and, and, and uh, vandalism and chaos if he does so. But let's take it now, Eric, from the streets into Washington, and let's talk about what the, the left is doing here. They are telling the president we will impeach, or at least Nancy Pelosi won't take it off the table, will impeach the president, will impeach the attorney general, anything we have to to stop or stall this from going through. Um, what is your response to, you know, leftist senators, leftist uh, members of the uh, House? Uh, and I really want to continue to call them leftists rather than liberals because there is a difference and these people are very dangerous. Yeah. But they, they are literally threatening to uh, punish the president if he does his job. And nobody can, can possibly argue that it is his job without delay to name a replacement for a justice that has passed on. I mean, think about it, Bob. You know, and I, this this is utopia. This is um, right. I mean, it, it's it's kind of such a novel thought. But think about if if, if Nancy Pelosi spent um, you know, one one hundredth of the time instead of trying to impeach my father and get her hair blown out in salons that are closed, um, if she spent that actually trying to you know fix problems in this country, whether it's you know spending more time on education, spending more time on um, on infrastructure, spending more time on one of a hundred things that my father wants. You know, uh, wants accomplished that he's pushing every day. Drug pricing, which my father has been—I mean, there's never been better, anybody better in the history of this country, in the history of the world for drug pricing. I mean, what he's been doing with epipens and insulin over the last couple of weeks. But I mean, think about that. All they want to do, they just want to impeach the guy. I mean, you know, they, they can't stand that a person who'd never been in politics before went in and beat them, and has done a phenomenal job and did more than he said he was going to do. He dropped taxes, rebuilt the military, and he took care of our veterans, put together right to try, and the lowest unemployment in, in every community, lowest African-American unemployment, lowest Hispanic unemployment, lowest female employment, and, you know, um, you know the amount of people that have come off of welfare, the amount of people that have come off of food stamps, the way manufacturing has come back into the, the country, how he saved religious liberty, how he saved, you know, frankly, the Second Amendment, something that's incredibly important to me in, in this country. I mean... You know, the fact that he went after China and Mexico and NATO and the European Union and everybody else who was ripping off this country, and about 200 other things that I could name if we had more time. And guess what she wants to do? All she wants to do is impeach. I mean, the guy has done more for this country in three and a half years than all of them put together in their hundreds and hundreds of years being swamp creatures. And um, he's driving them crazy because he's been absolutely effective. And so guess what? Her and Jerry Nadler and Eric Swalwell, it's Let's impeach him. Let's harass him. Let's uh, mm -hmm. 
you know, send his kids nasty letters every day. Let's send them subpoenas on some garbage. Let's go after Barron. Let's go after Tiffany. Let's go after uh, Eric's, uh, you know, two infant children. I mean, these people are sick, and um, and America sees it. And, and I, I'm being long-winded, but I want to finish kind of with this. You know, in 2016, uh, you used to hear these incredible chants, lock her up and you know, build the wall and everything else. And they're fun and they're entertaining and everything else. The other day in Arizona, when they started chanting, I love you, you had 30,000 people. My father was up on stage chanting, I love you. It almost brought tears to my eyes, Bob, because it, America sees what they've done to the man. They've seen what they've frankly done to all of us and you know, the entire family. And you know, we never give up and we never stop punching and we're going to beat these guys again. But to have 30,000 people chanting something so beautiful as that the other day proves that he's done something right and, and, and proves the other side wrong. Um, they've overplayed their card. They've, they've overplayed their card. There's only so many times that they can cry wolf, and they're doing it once again. They've all lost all credibility. And, um, you know, if the Democrats ever just played 60% of the hand, you know, they're great fighters. I mean, these people are great fighters. And, um I think they'd have a lot more credibility, but they always overplay their hand. Uh, right. I think America has seen that. Um, we're talking to Eric Trump, um, ostensibly because the president's in our state today. is going to be in, in uh, it's going to be Swanton and Vandalia, I believe, and he's going to be talking to manufacturers, going to be talking about Joe Biden's support of NAFTA and his, the president's, repeal of NAFTA and the implementation of the USMCA and how important that is. Um, but I want to just ask you a general question to wrap here rather than talk about the manufacturing, Eric. As as your dad sat down last night with uh, Mark Levin on television, my wife and I watched, and it was the first commercial break. She looked at me and said, I kid you not, I'm not making this up. If I'm lying, I swear to God, uh, uh, strike me down now. She said to me, why do you think he's running again? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, why would he do this? Um, knowing how hated he is, knowing he's not making any money. In fact, he's losing money, which I chimed in and said he's actually losing money. Um, all to sit there and have so many people, you know, uh, disparage him and condemn him and express horrible, hateful things. Why do you think he wants to go through this again? And I had to think about it before I answered, but I want to hear your answer, Eric. Yeah, well, well, I mean, there's there's two quick parts to it. I mean, first of all, there's so much more love out there than there is hate. Um, I'm telling you, I'm in mean, I was I'm in Erie, Pennsylvania tonight. I was in uh, Washington County, which is too far away from you guys. Um, you know, I've been all over Ohio. You know how many times I've I've been in Ohio, and uh, you know, I'm back there this week. And um, you know, we're all over the place. And I can tell you, every single place I go, I have people coming up to me all day long, giving me hugs. Thank your father. He saved this country. We love him. We're appreciative. Um, thank you for the fight, blah, blah, blah. Right. I mean, the love, I mean, I had a, I had a 350 pound, one of the biggest men I've ever seen in my life come up to me, give me a hug and start crying the other day. And, you know, uh, you know, uh, God strike me dead as, as well. I mean, came up to me and he started crying and he's literally shaking as he's hugging me, this big guy. And, um, your father saved our nation. He saved our nation. I just, I can't thank you guys enough. There is so much for, for for all the hate that you see on TV. There is a hundred times as much love out there, and I'm, I'm I just have to I have to say that, Bob. Second of all, they wanted him to quit. They wanted to make his life so miserable that he said, "You know what? I'll go back to my former life. It was very glamorous. It was nice. I didn't need to deal with this nonsense." Make no mistake, that was part of their their their, their uh, you know that was part of their strategy. I mean, hit him so hard, be so ruthless and vicious that. He wanted to give up and say, you know what, this just isn't work. You know, worth it. I'm just going to go back to my former life. And you know what? With Donald Trump, that actually made him dig in deeper. It made us all dig in deeper. And that's why we're working as hard as we are. 
um, every single day. These guys would destroy this country. They would destroy what we believe in. They would destroy what we, um, you know, the constitution of this nation. They would destroy faith in this country. Um, they would destroy everything. They're willing to burn it down. And you see that in the streets of all these cities. And um, as a family, we are going to work every single second um, of every single day as we always do. But for the next 45 days, we're simply not going to let it happen, Bob. We're not, we're not going to let it happen to this country. No more burning the American flag. No more kneeling for the national anthem. No more of this nonsense. No more attacks on law enforcement. Um, we're, we're just not going to let them get away with it. And, um, and I really believe everybody's got to show up and vote, but I really believe we're going to win. Well, I'm glad to hear, especially the part about all of the personal expressions of fondness and affection and gratitude to your father, because the public expressions are, you know, what we see, you know, the hatred from the networks and the newspapers and so on and so forth. So I'm glad the people uh, really keep your father motivated. Uh, Eric, last thing, we're really late here, but just in 30 seconds, do we have enough time? It's 43 days, roughly, until the election. I can't remember if it's 43 or 44. Um, do we have enough time to get a nominee uh, named, get confirmation hearings set for the judiciary, and then get a full Senate vote by the time this thing comes down on November 3rd? Is there enough time? Yeah, yeah I believe we do. And in fact, they did Ginsburg and, um, you know, uh, coincidentally, um, you know, she went through in 40 days. And, um, and I, I do believe um, I do believe we have enough time and, and they'll propose it and hopefully it happens before the election. And if it doesn't, it'll happen right after the election. Um, but uh, either way, somebody should be proposed likely on Friday or uh, or Saturday of this week. And, um, and then uh, I think everybody's off to the races. Very good. Eric Trump, thank you so much. Please, uh, you know what? Uh, express to your father what he is already hearing from people in crowds, chanting, we love you. Let him know that we appreciate everything that he's doing for us as well here in the Buckeye State. I absolutely will, Bob. You Thanks very much. You too. Eric Trump uh, joining us on AM 1420 The Answer. We're a little late. Let's catch up now on AM 1420 The Answer. All right. Just a uh, short segment here before the top of the hour. <clears throat> Obviously. Thanks to Eric Trump. I mean, uh, you know, the, 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 I'm so glad to hear him answer that question, you know, as far as why uh, his father has decided to go through this again. I, I answered my wife. I think there's two things. Number one, I think he legitimately believes that he is the only man for the job. I do. I think the other reason is a more obvious one. Nobody just decides not to run for their next term in office. I mean, uh, I think the last one to do that was probably Lyndon Johnson, but that's because he served the last uh, 24 months or so of um, JFK's term uh, when, uh, you know, he was assassinated in 63, and then he got his own term after that, and he did not want to run for another four in 68. We were just talking about this yesterday with my father-in-law. But presidents just, they want two terms. They always run again. Now, no one has been through what Donald Trump has been through in his first term, not even George W. Bush, who was savaged by the American left in so many terrible ways. He didn't fight back. Donald Trump fights back. But part of the reason or the simple reason is because you always run for another term. But the other reason is I really, truly think Donald Trump believes that nobody else can do this better than he can. And he might be right. I think there are a lot of strong conservatives who could do a great job as president. Don't get me wrong, but none of them can run for president. Donald Trump can because he is the incumbent and he is the party's nominee, and that's the way that it is. But he may be right as well. 
I don't know anybody who could have done a better job given the circumstances that he faced. Literally for the first two years of his term, he faced the ridiculous Mueller investigation, the Russia collusion hoax. Then for the next year and a half, he faced the Ukrainian impeachment hoax, which was all just so much show for political reasons, and that's it. And now, in the last year of his term, he's facing COVID-19. For crying out loud, the pandemic and then the race riots around the country, all because of something he had nothing to do with. This was all started during the George Floyd situation, which, of course, was just the excuse that they used to begin to break down this country, the Marxists who are trying to destroy America. And Donald Trump has gotten amazing things done in the face of all of that. So he might be right. That's why he's doing this, because he really feels like the country needs him. And again, I think he's right. Speaking of race riots, speaking of the racial division in this country, coming up after the top of the hour newscast, Michael Goldstein and Kathy Johnson from Proclaiming Justice to the Nations is going to join us. They are going to testify tomorrow before the Ohio State Board of Education about the danger of the Black Lives Matter at school curriculum that is being proposed and potentially implemented as early as this year. So they'll join us next to talk about this extraordinarily important issue on AM 1420, The Answer.